And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show. Presented by RIA Advisors. Well, good morning. Welcome to The Real Investment Show. Financial Friday Fitness Edition. You may already be asking yourself, where is Richard Rosso? Where is Danny Ratliff this morning? I think we threw a little curveball at y'all. Brent, is there a is there a Danny sighting or is there a whereabouts of <laughs> where is Mr. Ratliff? I got a phone call from Mr. Ratliff uh, last evening from somewhere deep in New Mexico. So, New Mexico territory, yeah, I think huh? He was, I think he was investigating Area 51 or something like that. Going after the aliens. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Well, I wish him a safe return. <laughs> Danny, we miss you. Rich, we miss you. We got you. So joining in the studio with me today is Jonathan McCarty, certified financial planner, and he is also a chartered financial analyst, CFA. <laughs> So it's almost like you're going up to the Halloween candy bowl and you get two pieces of candy. You get the Reese's peanut butter cup and the Kit Kat bar with Mr. McCarty. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well, John. Thank you. You know, I consider myself more of a Snickers man. Oh, but, are you? Uh, that's all right. Okay. <laughs> you know, I almost went with the Almond Joy. Okay. Okay. Even a baby Ruth. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go a little old school there. All right, Snickers. All right. Appreciate you being here. So how's, how's your week been? Uh, it's going well. Going well. You know, uh, happy to fill in here for Danny. I know they are some big shoes to fill, so I'll do my best. Uh, but it's been a good week so far. Looking forward to the weekend. Got some plans with the wife. Well, very good. You you, uh, you think you'll have a, a lot of trick-or-treaters next week? Uh, no, actually, I, I don't think we will. Uh, my wife and I, we live in uh, in a gated community. And so there's only about 25 houses in the in the community. So only one of those houses has like Halloween trick-or-treating age children. And uh, the father actually is, is really great. He goes around and he gives each house a little bag of candy to give to his daughter's. So they can still have oh, the, nice. the experience of trick-or-treating. So. Yeah, that's very nice. So, so are you already thinking to yourself, oh, my gosh, what did I get myself into this morning? I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> and the door's locked. I can't leave. Yeah. Once you have the headphones on, I mean, you're, you're in for it. <laughs> well, very good. Well, we appreciate you being here. And, and thanks for everybody for tuning in this morning. Let's take a look at the, a little bit of the markets here. Dow futures up 14. S&P futures up you know, about 17 here. NASDAQ up about 119. The 10-year Where's the yield on the 10-year Treasury this morning? A little bit shy of 5%. It's been kind of knocking on that here. Hit 5% last week. It's, it's like it's been all eyes on the yield on the 10-year uh, you know, Treasury bond, currently sitting at uh, 4.86 this morning. And, of course, next week, news, you know, Federal Reserve meeting. I think all the eyes are going to be on the Fed next week and ears. Interested to hear what the Fed says. Are they going to leave rates the same? Will they raise rates? Or is it more about what they say and how does the market and how do investors react and interpret that, right? So we'll have to see. I think it's all eyes and ears on the Fed. What do you think, Jonathan? Yeah, any, I, any thoughts around the Fed next week? I agree. Yeah, you know, we heard last week, you know, Jerome Powell came out and said additional evidence of persistently above trend growth or that tightness in the labor market is no longer easing could put further progress on inflation at risk and could warrant further tightening of monetary policy. So we had some numbers come out this week that would kind of support both sides of that statement. So it really depends on how the Fed digests it, 
We had GDP growth come in at almost 5%, which was a significant mark above expectations. You know, you look at economic growth coming in just over 2% versus the Fed's target of about 1.8. So, you know, that would kind of lean towards the persistently above trend growth aspect of that statement that Jerome Powell made last week. Then you also look at jobless, came, jobless claims coming in about 10,000, mm-hmm. uh, about 10,000 higher than last last report. That would kind of lead towards, you know, uh, progress in the in the jobs market. But the problem with that is it could just be an aspect of seasonal adjustments made to the infl- to the jobs reporting data. So it really depends on how the Fed takes those numbers and, and what weighting they put towards each one. I think that just general consensus is we're not going to see a rate increase next uh, next week. But more than likely, it's it's a higher likelihood in December. Yeah, well, it's, you know, and, and I know the Fed was was talking a little bit this week, too. And in a roundabout way, I mean, he, he actually said, too, that, you know, they've been he's been pretty impressed at how resilient American consumers have been spending even with these higher rates. Right. And so, yeah. you know, he's been as, as everybody knows, I mean, the Fed has been so aggressive with raising short term interest rates. You know, last year has been raising rates this year. What we'll to see you know, next week. And I, and I agree with everything you just said. But, you know, it could be that it's just taking a while longer for these higher rates to really start working themselves down into the economy, right? Yeah. Because ultimately what he's trying to do by keeping these rates high is using is making the cost of using money more expensive. The cost of borrowing, the cost of credit, the cost of using loans more expensive, trying to slow down this rate of spend, trying to bring down this rate of inflation that we're all experiencing, right? You're correct. And even he said it's, you know, there's demand and it's taking longer than anticipated. But you are starting to see some of the more interest rate areas, sensitive areas, you know, being affected by this. Look at housing, look at mortgages. You know, there's a number of clients that I'm visiting with lately that they have been waiting to buy maybe it's a, a maybe their first home, maybe it's a vacation home, you know, or they're looking to add a piece of you know, rental property to their overall portfolio. And right now they're just not interested in applying for a 30-year loan with a uh, with an interest rate of you know 8% or more. Yeah, I mean with rates at 8%, basically purchases are coming to almost a standstill. Yeah, so, so you so you're starting to see that in more of those kind of those interest rate sensitive areas. But I think, you know, I think it's been with these higher rates, I you know, this year to me it seems like investors have been uh, it, it's been a stressful year. I think it's been it's it's been a kind of a stressful year if you're an investor, you know you 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 know it's the the breadth of the market of what's really driving equities this year. I mean, and I know Lance and Michael speak about this on a regular basis. You know, when you look at the Standard and Poor's 500 index, it's really been six or seven names that have been really driving the market this year, yeah. right? And if you look at a, a more equal weighted Standard and Poor's 500 index, because in the in the actual S and P 500 you know, close to 28 or almost 29% of that Standard & Poor's 500 index is really tilted towards the technology space. And there's, you know, six or seven really big names that have been really driving the market this year. And what's interesting is if you take a step back and you look at, the, look at a more equal-weighted Standard & Poor's 500 index where one sector, let's say it's, you know, healthcare, industrials, materials, financials, staples, you know, the, look at a more equal-weighted index where those sectors are evenly distributed throughout that index. That index is negative for the year. Yeah. Right? Correct. So it just goes to show you how, you know, just a small handful of companies are really driving the market this year. So I think that's been frustrating for, for investors. And now, of course, you know, you have, you have yields, interest rates have, you know, climbed up here. I know there was 
you know, it just seems like the market and all the financial pundits out there were all over the interest rate on the 10-year bond. Are we going to hit 5%? Is it going to go north of 5%? And it hit 5%. Well, then, then it was, well, will it go to five and a quarter? Will it go to five and a half? So you've got these rates coming up, which is putting downward pressure on the prices of your bonds, because as you remember, there is an inverse relationship between interest rates and bond prices, right? Correct. So you're seeing some maybe some pullback on your equities here as of late, and you've seen some downward pricing on your bonds, and you're like, hey, what's going on, right? So maybe we'll talk about this a little bit more when we get back. Thanks for, thanks for joining us this morning, everybody. We'll be back here in just a moment. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Welcome back to the Real Investment Show, Financial Fitness Friday. Joining me today, Jonathan McCarty, certified financial planner. Chartered financial analyst, the dual threat. <laughs> so I know we got Halloween right around the corner, but we're actually going to be talking a little turkey next Saturday. I know we're, I know it's not, we're not really ready for Thanksgiving yet, but we are going to be talking some turkey next Saturday in our next candid coffee. Both Rich and Danny will be there. Uh, and really, it's uh, you can go by our website, realinvestmentadvice.com, sign up for, for candid coffee. And really, it's it's about us all kind of getting around the table, having a great cup of coffee or coffee of choice. Let's just talk a little bit about what's on your mind. You know, what's stressing you out this year? What concerns do you have? You know, what questions do you have? They'll be taking your questions. You can, you can come right in with your questions. You live discussion right there. When you register, there's a box that you can actually submit the uh, question ahead of time. Excellent. Too. Yeah. And we're, we're amassing those now. Oh, very good. Yeah. So yeah, if you have a question, go by the website, sign up for the event, get your questions in there. So that way you, Rich and Danny can discuss those next Saturday. I saw during the break, there was a request for a Janet Yellen impersonation. <laughs> uh, I'm not very good at that. And I can't give it justice. So I will tell you next Saturday, Candy Coffee, you never know who's yeah. going to show up. You may get Janet Yellen. You may get Elvis. You never know what's going to happen. You may, you may get Grandma Rosso. You may get Grandma Rosso. <laughs> Yeah. We haven't heard of Grandmo. Grandmo. <laughs> Grandmo. I've had a little too much coffee this morning, but I haven't heard a Grandma Rosso story in a while. I think we're overdue. I do. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, Halloween right around the corner. Jonathan, you were talking a little bit about, you know, trick-or-treating out there in your neighborhood. Brent, you got a, you have a lot of trick-or-treaters coming? We, we have a fair amount of trick-or-treaters that come along. Um, I guess I'm the neighborhood curmudgeon because mm -hmm. uh, we, we don't participate. You know, uh, so my wife, Shauna, she was mentioned to me yesterday. She's like, this weekend we got to go out and get the bags of Halloween candy. <laughs> <laughs> so our neighborhood, 
you know, the kids come in, and I think we went through seven bags of candy last year, 700 pieces of candy. Well, come on, man. Yeah, for us, it's an economic decision. It is. You know, I mean, that's expensive. So I was looking at this because kind of the financial nerd in me, but I was looking at uh, a a study that Scholaroo put out about how the price of candy, inflation with candy prices, how have the prices of candy changed, Halloween candy, in the last three years? Do you know for the state of Texas, over the last three years, the prices of candy have gone up 36.8%? Wow. It's crazy. Wow. So if I'm handing out all this candy, if the kids are taking all this candy this weekend, they're getting every single piece. I'm getting my money's worth out of this. <laughs> well, with 700 pieces, I can tell you the dentists in your neighborhood truly appreciate your work. That's John. it. I'm supporting <laughs> the local, you know, the small businesses yeah, in the area. Maryland, Maryland took number one, 40% over the last three years. That's crazy. Is that nuts? Yeah. Last place was Alaska, and they were still up over 30%. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, just a little fun fact this morning. But um, you have an insight on Coca futures? Because I'd, I'd heard they were just astronomical right now. Really? Yes. So if you're going to be doing baking uh, for the holidays, you might want to stock up on that cocoa. That's not a bad idea. Mm-hmm. That and the candy corn. <laughs> Sorry, not to go on that one again. I mean, I meant to bring in a whole bag of candy pumpkins this morning. I completely forgot. So uh, so shame on me there. Well, that's okay. Next Wednesday, you can get it for half price. That's exactly right. We that's can wait till the day after. I like the way you're thinking, Brent. Mm-hmm. Very good. No. Um, so a little bit before the break, we were talking a little bit about you know interest rates and yields. You know, a lot of focus on yields in the 10-year treasury. And, um, you know, it just seems right now, Jonathan, I'm, I'm getting a lot of questions around bonds. And bond prices. I mean, it's 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 normal to get questions around equities or just the equity markets in general. But I don't know about you, but lately I seem to be getting more questions about bonds and the prices on bonds than equities. Are you seeing that as well, or what kind of questions are you getting? You know, I'm getting a fair amount of questions around bonds. Obviously, with yields being so high, there's a lot of interest in, in where the potential profit is and in investing in the longer end of the curve. But I've also been getting a lot of questions around you know, the benefits of active management in a declining market and, and how active management can benefit investors when there's volatility in the markets with a downward trend. Yeah, so, so what, you're, what it comes down to is, you know, at the end of the day, you know, with investing, there's, there's only so much you can control, right? Right. And you can control the amount of risk that you take as an investor, right? Correct. And it's very easy to get pulled into the hype, about what the markets are doing this year. Oh, S&P 500 is up 12%. Okay, it's been driven by six or seven names. We kind of covered that earlier. Get it? Your neighbor may be out there. There's a you know, couple of us on, on our street. We kind of all take care of our own yards. We, kind, we take care of our own, right? And we all, <laughs> when we're out there mowing the yards on the weekends, sometimes we, all the guys kind of get together in a huddle and we're talking about our landscape projects and what we're doing. And it never fails that somebody always brings up all this money that they're making on stocks, right? Oh, I'm making this amount of return. I'm making this amount of return. I'm making this amount of return. And back in my mind, I'm like, no, you're not. It's like, come on, man. No, no. Well, well, uh, so everybody will tell you how much money that they're, they're making, but they're never going to tell you where they're down, right? But I, and I get that. So it's it's all about managing your risk, yep, right? Absolutely. And and I think when you know, especially around you know questions around bonds lately, 
you know, because you, 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 know, you were talking a little bit about, you know, bonds out there on the long end of the yield curve. And so what Jonathan was referring to there, when, when you hear somebody say the long end of the yield curve, you know, they're, you're, they're talking about bonds that have a long lifespan, right? Longer maturity, right? So the yield curve is kind of a fancy way of thinking about time. <clears throat> Excuse me. The, the yield curve is like an x-axis, and you have two extremes. On one end, you have bonds. They call it the short end. You know, those are bonds that have a short lifespan, three-month bonds, six-month bonds, nine months, a year, maybe out to two years or so. You got on the long end, you know, 20-year bonds, 30-year bonds. And the interest rates or the yields on the opposite sides of the yield curve move for different reasons, right? And the Fed really controls the short end of the curve, right? But as, you know, the economy changes, as the market outlook changes, as the inflationary environment changes, that's really what affects yields out on the long end of the curve. Well, as, and, and those longer-term bonds that have a longer lifespan, you know, the, the prices on those bonds are going to be a lot more sensitive. They're going to change more to changes in interest rates. So if you own some long-term bonds out there, which we own long-term bonds as part of the portfolio, yep. you know, as interest rates have ticked up here, you know, the value or the prices of those long-term bonds have pulled down. Right, so it's it's and it's hard to look at an account statement, or it's hard to go to your account and log in and see, hey, I just bought this bond. I thought bonds were, I thought bonds were safe, Jonathan. Why why am I why is this why is why am I seeing red on my screen here with my bond? Well, you know that's really just a function of market pricing mechanisms that that they're seeing there. I mean, these are really paper losses and. For a lot of these clients, we're looking much further down the road as far as when we're looking to exit these bond positions or if we're holding these for a much longer period of time. So trying to ignore the paper losses is, is definitely a challenge, being an individual investor, uh, making sure that you're aware that if your investment thesis has not changed, it really doesn't warrant any change to your current composition of your portfolio. That's right. So the only way, if you're holding the individual bonds and you see red there, the only way you would really lose that money on that bond is if you sold it early before it matured and you realize that loss. Now, there can also be an opportunity as we think rates will start to come down in the future. Remember, bond prices and interest rates move in opposite directions. We think yields will eventually be coming down. What we don't know is when. You know, is it is it in the next year? Is it two years, three years? But we think rates will start coming down and then you could see your bond prices go from the red up to the green. And that could be an opportunity depending on your own goals your objectives, as Jonathan mentioned earlier, your risk tolerance, that may be a good opportunity to sell those bonds at a gain. Correct. Right? Correct. And, you know, and, and the bond market, and actually, you know, there are bonds out there that are very safe, right? Because when you look at the bond market, the bond market is actually larger than the equity markets, right? And there are bonds that you can invest in, you know, from the United States government, treasuries. You can invest in bonds issued by municipalities. You can issue, you can buy or invest in bonds from corporations. And those, those corporate bonds, some are safer than others. You know, sometimes you have to watch out. Sometimes you may be visiting with a firm and they'll say, hey, you know what, Jonathan? We prefer to invest in bonds that are in the deep credit space. We invest in deep credit bonds. You have to watch out. That's just a fancy word for junk, <laughs> right? So you have to watch out for that. And I'm not trying to knock junk bonds there can be a time where junk bonds may make sense in the portfolio. Not right now, though, right? So anyway, so getting a lot of questions around bonds there, but you know, you're talking about you know, an active approach to managing risk within your portfolio, right? 
and controlling how much risk you take as an investor. So this all ties into what sort of financial plan have you put in, have you put together for yourself, right? In other words, have you really looked at where you are today? Where do you want to go? Let's look at the expenses that you have now. What does it cost for you to run your household? Right? Keep food on the table. You know, keep your lights on. Keep fuel in your vehicles. But what other goals do you have? Do you need to buy another vehicle? Do you have kids to put through school? When do you want to retire? What does that look like? And through all of that, you know, figure out regardless what the markets are doing, right? Regardless what the Standard & Poor's 500 index is doing or all the various indices out there. And yes, we pay all very close attention to that. But through that planning process, you need to figure out what is the specific rate of return that you need to earn over time for yourself for all this to work. What is your hurdle rate? That's what we call it, right? And it all comes back to just how much risk do you need to take as an investor? So we'll talk about this a little bit more when we get back. So we thank you all for joining us this morning. We'll be back here in just a few minutes. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com welcome back to the real investment show financial fitness friday jonathan mccarty in here with us this morning certified financial planner CFA. Even when Danny isn't here, he's with us. He's here. <laughs> he's here. Appreciate your comments, Danny. Thanks for listening. Be careful on the road. Remember, talking turkey about your money next Saturday, Candid Coffee. Next Saturday, November 4th. November. Oh my gosh, how are we in November already? Time flies. Oh my gosh. Eight o'clock next Saturday morning. Stop by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com and sign up, submit your questions. Every question's welcome. So uh, we, we look forward to joining you. You know, Brent, I really appreciate how uh, you give us little notes and things that are very interesting that maybe we can kind of cover in here. And I love this. Everyone needs a friend who they probably shouldn't be allowed to sit next to at a serious function. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm usually that friend. Is that it? I've been guilty of that as well. Have yes. you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't see. I don't believe that from the two of you for a second. <laughs> and by the way, Jonathan, you're looking very dapper this morning. My Thank man. you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So that is the truth. I've got. I've got a couple of those friends where you go to an event. You're like, oh, should I sit next to this person? I'm not <laughs> sure. This could go badly. But uh, but no, it's all good. Um, so right before the break, we were talking a little bit about you know that planning discussion. I know this is Lance's favorite topic, financial planning. <laughs> I know he can't wait to hear about this. 
but that's all good. That's, we bring it all together here, right? It's the investment management, it's the financial planning, and we bring it all together to make sure we're taking care of the individuals and, and families that we serve. It's the holistic approach. It is. It's a holistic approach. So we we're talking a little bit about that planning discussion. I was talking a little bit about, you know, that hurdle rate or, or really figuring out what is the rate of return that you really need to achieve over time for, for your plan to work. You know, what are your goals? What do you want to do? You know, what are your hobbies? Do you want to travel? What does retirement look like? Is, are you, is there a certain age where you want to retire and you're just like, that's it, I'm done? Or maybe do you want to consult? Or you know, are you going to volunteer? I mean, all sorts of things that you can build into this plan. But uh, no, Jonathan, you visit with clients all week long, and you're having planning conversations with everybody. You know, what do those conversations look like? Or when folks are coming to you and they're wanting you to help them with a plan, I mean, what, what kind of questions do they have? Yeah, you know, often the question that I get is, is when can I retire? You know, a lot of clients, they spend their working years accumulating a lot of assets, but they don't ever actually put a plan in place to identify when they can finally hang it up. You know, as one of my clients recently put it, like, I just want to know the freedom that if I decide I don't want to go to work today, I can just turn around and go home and, and not have to worry about it. So, you know, I think that that's a big part of the financial planning engagement is outlining, you know, where you're at today and where you want to be when the retirement day comes and what we can do to facilitate bridging that gap. You know, we, as I'm sure you've heard on numerous times here, we work as a fiduciary here. And so it's in our best interest to get you from point A to point B with the high, a high degree of, of certainty we can achieve those goals with the least amount of risk along the way. I think that, you know, really emphasizes the importance of determining what your hurdle rate is. Because if we can get you from A to B, with a heavier concentration in safer asset classes like bonds, then that's where we're going to start the conversation. You know, I don't think that for every client that the ultimate goal is not achieving the highest return possible. Every client is unique in their own approach and what they're looking for out of their planning engagement and their investment management as a whole. And I think being able to meet those needs is, is very important in today's industry. So what I heard there was uh, great and you're, and you're spot on. So you mean, you know, clients aren't, looking to hire you as an advisor to quote unquote beat the market every year? No. And in fact, most of the clients that I speak to understand that, you know, in order to beat the market, you would have to be a hundred percent in equity and then also have superior performance. You know, most clients don't have the risk appetite for that kind of exposure to the equity market. So it's important to work with your advisor, have a conversation and, and, and a dialogue to determine how much risk you are really, really willing to take. And, and also how much risk do you need to take? That's really the, the, pivotal aspect of what we do here. Yeah, I think it's, I, th I think it's, that's a, that's a very great point. You know, um, a lot of the folks that, that I visit with, I know Rich Danny, that, that we all visit with, we're, we're all very blessed to be able to do what we do and serve the folks that we serve. You know, I find that um, a lot of the folks that we visit with, whether they are, you know, kind of nearing that retirement date, you know, it's a, or they're in retirement or even younger working professionals who are really in their prime earning years and they're trying to maximize their savings to really make sure that they can, you know, achieve those goals that they've set for themselves later in life. You know, their, their dollars are starting to get to this point where I like to call their, their investment dollars are starting to near this, what I call a critical mass where they have this, this pool of funds. And yes, they want those funds to participate in the market and grow. And, you know, if markets are doing well, yes, they want some growth, but they are not looking for us or not looking for an advisor to take the risk that's necessary to try to just randomly beat the market every year, right? They, they want to get some performance. Of course, they want to 
you know, have their money working for them so they can fight inflation, keep their purchasing power and do the things that they want to do. But at the same time, if this market decides to peel back by 30%, they don't want to be down 30%. They don't want to take that clip, right? I'd like my cake and I'd like to be able to eat it as well. And not gain any weight, <laughs> right? I want the whole chocolate cake, but I don't want to put on any weight. I used to be able to do that in college. I can't do that anymore. I mean, I go eat a piece of chocolate cake. It is, I can see it the next morning like that. What's up with that? Oh, for the metabolism of a 20-year-old. Yeah, <laughs> please. Man. But I hear what you're saying. And so I think that's, all, with all the market hype out there, it's so easy to get pulled into where the markets are doing this, the markets are doing this, and the markets are doing this. You may look at your portfolio and you're like, well, my portfolio isn't doing that. But you know what? You don't need to take, you may not need to take that much risk either, right? So that all comes back to, you know, that hurdle rate and what is that rate of return that you really need to earn over time that supports your goals and objectives. So, so in addition to, you know, that hurdle rate, Jonathan, and, you know, making sure the client's taking the appropriate amount of risk over time, you know, what are some of the other, when you get into plans with folks, what are some of the other areas that you help them focus on? I would say just the the restructuring of their assets into more tax favorable positions. You know, everyone obviously is trying to save to provide for their own retirement, but oftentimes they're also saving to provide for their children when they pass on. And if you can look at the same pool of assets and have the ability to kind of push and pull different levers to restructure the taxability of those assets, you know, we all know that there were some recent changes to inherited IRA rules. Yes. Uh, they've made some some significant developments there where you're now required to withdraw those funds in most circumstances, withdraw those funds within 10 years of, of the uh, individual's death when you receive that inherited IRA. Now, if you are receiving a tax-deferred IRA, that's a significant amount of tax. I mean, if you look at, say, it's a million dollars and you're passing that on to your child and, and that's in a tax-deferred account, they're taking out almost $100,000 a year, not counting investment performance along the way, $100,000 a year that goes to their taxable income and jacks up their tax rate. They're really walking away with maybe 60%, depending on the state you live in, 70% if you're lucky, of those funds each year. So, you know, being able to kind of make those adjustments incrementally along the way during your, your retirement or leading up to retirement can put you in a much more favorable position when it's time to then pass on those, those assets to your beneficiaries. So... You probably having some conversations in there with folks about potentially converting money to a Roth IRA. Absolutely. Right. Because, yeah. and there, there are several clients where maybe, and, and maybe sometimes a Roth conversion isn't for everybody. I get it. You have to look at the numbers and see what works out for one may not work out for the other, but there are a number of individuals that I'm working with where it may not make sense for them to make, to, 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 to convert money to a Roth right now, but they're setting, they're using the Roth IRA as a legacy planning tool for their children. Because to your point, the rules around taking required minimum distributions, if you're a non-spouse and you inherit an IRA, the rules are different. That money needs to be out by the end of the 10th year after the account, the original account owner's passing. And there's a lot of, and I know Rich and I spoke about inherited IRAs and RMDs last Friday, and there's a, you know, even the IRS isn't quite sure, you know, how these distribution rules are working out just yet, but... To your point, Jonathan, that money needs to come out over 10 years. Yeah. And if you convert some money to a Roth and your child inherits the Roth IRA, yeah, that money still needs to come out. But now that's tax-free, right? That's huge. So just so you know, getting into those planning conversations and looking at, you know, what is the best way or is there an ideal way to structure assets? But then also too, 
you know, it's, it's one thing to have a diversified investment portfolio, right? But you also want to have a diversification of accounts. Maybe you have a mixture of traditional IRAs. Maybe you have a Roth IRA in there. You have a brokerage account. You have a trust. Maybe you have a partnership. So you kind of have this, what I like to call a smattering of these different account styles in, within your portfolio. Well, is there a certain order of withdrawal sequence? Is there a way to take withdrawals out of these accounts in a certain order over time that makes sense to help you manage your tax bracket more efficiently moving forward, right? So looking at what is the right way to take money out of these accounts, and nobody knows what the future holds, you know, but we, we, we kind of think that income tax brackets will be higher in the future and probably not lower, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at the changing demographics in the country, you know, we're having fewer and fewer working age adults from which to contribute to tax revenue. When we have more and more individuals going into retirement and drawing upon those social safety net systems, you know, there's only two options as far as where you're going to make up that revenue fall. It's going to be increasing taxes or it's going to be cutting spending. I don't know about you, John, but I don't think we're going to be cutting spending anytime soon. You don't? I don't think What that's are you talking about, man? Yeah. I'm just teasing. <laughs> Maybe you're out in Area 51, too. Just kidding. No, I, I agree with you, Jonathan. It's uh, so... Those are all extremely important conversations to look at and topics to look at within a plan. Uh, more on this when we get back. And the big question, should I just put all my money in treasuries right now? We're going to talk about that too. We'll be back here in just a little bit. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Just saying, those are some good tunes right there. I kind of dig those on a Friday morning. Kind of makes you want to go, oh, how, oh, 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 how, 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 how. <laughs> like the uh, comment that John made, I appreciate that. If you want me to take some music requests for your loved ones, send in what you want to hear, maybe. <laughs> maybe we can have a segment on that. I might be fired. Yeah. That's not good. <laughs> a whole segment on bump music. Bump music. Yeah. Dig it. We appreciate everybody tuning in this morning. Thank you for spending some of your Friday morning with us. Joining me today here is uh, my advisor colleague, senior financial advisor, certified financial planner, chartered financial analyst, the CFA, Jonathan McCarty. Thank you for being here. Of course. Thank you. So uh, talk a little bit about the, uh, you know, the planning conversation and what we dive into with, with financial plans, all important conversations, you know, so many things that can come out of that. You know, when's the right time to look at social security? You know, especially if you have longevity in your family. Does it make sense for you to delay the receipt of your Social Security, let's say, to age 70? We're big fans of that here, especially if you have other assets or other if sources of income that you can rely on to kind of bridge that gap to let that Social Security benefit grow, which currently it grows. For about every year that you delay the receipt of your Social Security, you get about an 8% increase in your benefit. That's for what I can find out there. That's about the best thing going, right? 
And it's amazing how not all the times, but there are times within plans, Jonathan, I notice that that social security decision, whether somebody takes it at their full retirement age, they delay and take it at age 70, it can really make or break how that plan works out for them for the long run. Do you see that? Absolutely. Yeah. Optimizing social security is, is paramount in planning. Yeah. And not just for you, but also for your spouse. You have to think about it. if you take your social security benefit early, that also affects your spouse too. So it's, it's not always just about you. So uh, in that planning process, it's, we also, we want to look at that social security and looking at an optimal strategy, right? But, um, you know, as of late, I know Jonathan, I mentioned earlier that it seems like a lot of the questions that I'm getting, I know you're getting a lot of questions too, with these higher interest rates, you know, it's, you know, it's been a, it's been a while. I mean, it's been quite some time when we, I mean, we haven't seen rates like this where you can get, you know, north of 5% on your money market fund, you know, north of 5% on three month, six month, nine month, you know, year, you know, U.S. treasuries, right? Yep. So why, Jonathan, why, why shouldn't I just put all my money in treasuries right now? Just get out of stocks altogether. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a valid question. And a lot of people see those higher yields and they're very attractive to most investors. But the thing to consider, you know, if you're looking at the short end of the curve, if, if putting all of your money into short-term treasuries, your primary concern there would be reinvestment risk. You know, as we've seen over the last almost two years here, a couple of years, 11 interest rate increases from the Fed in such a, such a short period of time, there's nothing to say that we won't see the other side of that coin on the way back down. So if you're locking in your treasuries at something like a year, by the time those mature and you're ready to reinvest them, rates could be at 3.5%. So you run the risk of, of shortchanging yourself on the long end if you are heavily weighted to the short end of the curve. Now, on the other side of that, if you're looking to go further out, you know, I had a client who was talking to me about, oh, the, the 20 years over 5%, you know, r rather than having you guys manage the money, why, why wouldn't I just put it in something like a 20% bond? And the thing that you need to consider, you know, on the short end of the curve, the changes in bond values are, are basically linear. They're a function of duration. But when you get to the longer end of the curve, they're, they're made up of two components, right? Your duration, which is, you know, the price sensitivity in changes in interest rates, but also the convexity of the bond which is the sensitivity of duration to changes in yield. So, you know, all bonds are not created equal. And if you're looking to go out on the longer end of the curve, it's, it's very important that you have somebody who's knowledgeable of those two factors and able to select the best of breed that's available at the time. So, you know, the, the majority of investors are not out there calculating a bond's convexity, right? But that is something that we take into consideration when selecting holdings for our clients. So I think that if, if you're going long term, you really need to have the skill set required to adequately evaluate those investments. Yeah. And as you know, as we were talking about earlier, if you go out and put some some of your money out there on the long end of the yield curve, you know, those those prices of those bonds are going to be more sensitive to changing in interest rates. So you kind of yep. have to have the stomach to, to kind of watch that price fluctuation, too. Correct. Right? Absolutely. It's like, we're going to put my money in this bond. Everything's great. Then, you know, interest rates go up a little bit and you log into your account. And you're like, oh, uh, <laughs> Uh, why is my bond down in price? What's going on with this thing here, right? So you, if there, so you're right on the short end of the curve because of that time element. Your 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 bonds are more stable. They to, are to change it in interest rates, right? Yep. So uh, so this this very topic came up with another couple that I was visiting with earlier this week, and um, the whole conversation around why why shouldn't I just put all my money in, in treasuries right now, right? And so the question, so I, my response was, I mean, by all means, you can. Right. I mean, if, if that helps you sleep well at night and you just can't take any you know, equity exposure, 
at the end of the day, if this if if equity price, <clears throat> excuse me, if if volatility in equities or price gyrations for individual stocks are keeping you up at night, okay, maybe you maybe you're better off in just having a, a portfolio of treasuries, okay. But over time, will a portfolio of all treasury bonds help you fight inflation, right? Maybe it's still okay to have some of your investable assets in equities so that if there is market strength, growth to the market, you have a portion of your money there that can participate and help you fight inflation and try to keep up with your purchasing power and your living expenses and support those goals that you want to do. Because to your point, Jonathan, if you, let's say if you invest in, let's say, treasuries right now, maybe you go out two years, maybe you lock in some yields going out to two years. So that way, if the Fed starts reducing interest rates, at least you've locked in some yields, at least here for the short term. But then after two years, then what? Exactly. Right? Yeah. That, that reinvestment risk. So again, it goes back to what we started talking about in the beginning of the show and managing your risk. So there's, there's risk involved, not just with investing in stocks or exchange traded funds. There's also risk at how you look at managing bonds and that reinvestment risk, especially if we think we might be in an interest rate environment where rates are, where rates are coming down. Well, all of a sudden now you're being forced to reinvest at lower rates. And is that really going to support that long-term plan that you're putting together for folks, right? Correct. So all these things that you have to, you know, consider when you are, you know, putting your money to work for you. So, and I know we've been talking a lot about kind of the markets and performance and interest rates, Jonathan, you know, I, I think there are a lot of other reasons out there why somebody might explore using the services of an advisor. And you brought up a great term earlier, a fiduciary. You want to make sure who you're working with is a fiduciary. So they are putting your best interests ahead of their own at all times, right? Correct. But what do you see? I mean, what are some other reasons where folks you know, reach out to you and they explore maybe wanting to engage in a relationship with you? What are some other reasons other than just the portfolio side of things? You know, they're really looking for somebody who can be that trusted advisor. You know, there's a number of situations that can arise, whether that's compromisation of your accounts or if they're dealing with, uh, you know, a family member who may be experiencing some diminished capacity, how to navigate the complexities of dealing with that type of situation. So we're not just here to give advice directly on your investments, but really as your, uh, your entire financial picture as a whole. You know, that's again, goes back to our holistic financial planning approach. We're not just focused on your portfolio. We're focused on setting you up for the most comfortable retirement possible and being there as, as a trusted source of information along the way as things that we may not have anticipated come up. Yeah, and so great point. So recently I was visiting with a, with a client, husband in a relationship, and you know, he was the one that had the earned income and his, his spouse, his wife, really had the most important job, ladies, running the household, right? Not saying all ladies, there are men out there that run the household too. I get it. <laughs> I'm trying to say equal and fair here. So, but, you know, she, she took a break from her job to help raise the kids as the kids were coming up through, you know, junior high, going to high school and, you know, getting out there into college. And so for many years, you know, the, the husband was making contributions to his IRA only. And so when we were visiting about, about when we were visiting about their financial plan and looking at what they're saving every year, I said, you know, 
even though your spouse doesn't have earned income, you can still make a spousal contribution to an IRA for her. And he, nobody had ever explained this to him before, not even his CPA. Wow. Right? So just little things. Um, earlier this week, uh, working with a client who lost a parent, non-spousal benefit, he's the non-spousal beneficiary receiving assets in an inherited IRA. Well, the distribution for him, for his inherited IRA, is actually waived this year. It's not mandatory. He can take it if he wants to, but it's not mandatory. But before his parent passed away, they had only taken a portion of their required minimum distribution. And so his question to me was, well, I know I really don't have to take out my required minimum distribution from this inherited IRA, but do I still need to fulfill the required minimum distribution that my parent didn't take? What they call the year of death RMD. Really fun stuff to talk about right oh, now, yeah. right? We love that topic. And this is such a confusing area. Again, Rich and I were just talking about required minimum distributions last week. So I had to research this and I had to tell him, I said, yes, you still need to take that year of RMD out by the end of this year, right? Yeah. So little things like this, it, it all, it's, yes, the performance is important, but there's so many things that surround this when we want to look at this holistically for you. Thank you again for joining us this morning, Jonathan. Thank you for being here. Thank you, John. Brent, as always, thank you. Hey, stop by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Sign up for the candy coffee next Saturday. Let's talk a little turkey. Hope everybody has a great Halloween. See y'all later. Thanks.